1: What do growing boys need to know about childbirth and breastfeeding? Stay tuned. We're talking with a lactation consultant and childbirth educator. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being our listeners, and thanks for supporting our sponsors. Do growing boys need to know about childbirth and breastfeeding? Our guest today is a lactation consultant, childbirth educator, and birth doula. While those words may bring back memories to you of being pregnant and a new mom, you may be wondering what they have to do with the On Boys Parenting Podcast, but don't switch away. When Lo Nigrash reached out, Jen and I had to ponder this topic for a bit. But after we talked about it, we realized there are lots of aspects of childbirth and especially breastfeeding that are important for us to educate our boys about. Hi, Lo. Hi, thank you. Good to have you. Yes, I'm so glad to be here. I think, you know, I was especially intrigued to have you on the podcast because as many of our listeners know, my daughter became a mom last year. And I've watched her nursing journey, and fortunately, with support, it's been successful. But I also noticed the discomfort of our family friend, a 13-year-old boy, when she was nursing her son. And I mean, she was pretty discreet, but still, he was, he was uncomfortable. So that made me think, you know, how do we talk to our boys about all of this?
2: Yes, that is so interesting to see the discomfort of many children, not just boys, but many children in particular. And when you think about your own journeys in feeding your children, whether it's breastfeeding or bottle feeding, um, but breastfeeding is the biological norm. And for so many of us, It was difficult when we tried to feed our babies. 88% of people in the United States start out wanting to breastfeed or initiate breastfeeding in the beginning. So that is a very large percentage. And so that indicates that for most people in the US, we do want to feed our babies from our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does not work out typically because of systemic medical and cultural barriers. And Mm. one of those barriers is a lack of support from friends and family members, a lack of support in the workplace, and Mm. a lack of understanding of the physiology of human milk making. Mm. And Mm. that often comes from the people closest to us, our partner, our mom and our dad,
0: Mm -hmm. our
2: brothers, our uncles. And if they don't understand the physiology of human milk making, then they don't understand why we can't just wait another hour to feed our baby Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or why we can't always cover our babies who will insist on not being covered. (laughs) Um, And so if we can educate our boys from a really young age, about the physiology of human milk making and milk making in general and help them to understand that humans are mammals who make milk for their babies in the same way that cows make milk for their babies. And that's why we have cows milk in the first place and goats make milk for their babies and pigs make milk for their babies and bats make milk for their babies (laughs) and (laughs) whales. That's the one that I always
3: think is so fascinating.
2: (laughs) Yes. And that all of these animals have different components of fat versus lactose versus, um, carbohydrates, then it makes sense that human milk has different components for humans than cow's milk has for cows. And that, that is the reason why, if at all possible, that human milk is going to be the healthiest for a human baby. And if you think back to your own journeys which you both told on the Milk Making Minutes.
1: Yes, have to say, full disclosure, we have had a conversation with Lo, and I loved that conversation, Lo, because it just brought both Jen and I back to our early days, and I learned a lot about Jen that I didn't know before, and yeah. that, we we kind of had some tears on that on we that did. conversation. It was very sweet, so thank you for that time.
2: Yeah, um, one thing I didn't ask about was who would you call your primary supporters during that time?
3: (laughs) Note the silence right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Janet, I like. I don't have anybody immediately pop to mind. It really, I can't say I fully did it alone, but I was definitely the driving, continuing to push force. Um, My boy's dad, who I was then married to, uh, he was supportive and absolutely clueless, like, mm-hmm. you know, had no no clue. And uh, probably the midwife who delivered my, my last two children. So at that point, I had a support. But with the first two, I was on my own, really. Books. I shared it on your podcast. I had the La Leche League Womenly Art of Breastfeeding. And that, that was my Bible.
1: Mhm mm-hmm. that book and mothering magazine once again was just yeah. my my rock at that time but um I mean I would say that my partner was supportive but as Jen said he was clueless mm-hmm. I, and so it was up to me and I didn't have any friends who had babies and which of
3: course gets to this issue of I mean I didn't think about this obviously my boys do have a little bit of breastfeeding education, especially the older ones, because they were physically alive while I was Mm -hmm. nursing the younger ones. Mm -hmm. So they've at least been exposed to it as a young person. Have we had discussions about this? No, not really. Um, Is this something that, you know, when the fifth and sixth grade kids get pulled aside for their talks about this is how boys work. This is how girls work. And I realized that some places are now doing much better at that Many are not, and that's still how it goes. They don't touch on breastfeeding at all. Uh, This is not a topic that's really covered in high school or college classes. So yes, of course, most boys who grow up to uh, become men who partner with women and have children with women, they have no clue, just like my boy's dad and your girl's dad. How
2: would they?
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
3: So
2: unless we specifically teach boys and and all children sure, about absolutely. breastfeeding, mm-hmm. then um, they aren't going to know about the importance of it. And there are studies, there are NCBI studies that show that a uh, feeding parent, and in the studies, it, it is always mothers, so I will use that term. Um, that a mother's ability to sustain breastfeeding can be impacted positively or negatively by the partner's support. yeah. Yeah. So if the partner is supportive and is able to encourage her to continue going, if he or she Encourages her despite difficulty, tells her he believes in her and provides both that verbal support and the physical support of bringing the baby to her, doing other care tasks in between the feeding, and also telling her he believes in her not doubting her milk supply not asking why it's taking so long Mm -hmm. not asking why she needs to feed in public not not... saying
3: things like um are you sure he's getting enough exactly which is really i can see from a dad's perspective especially Mm. a dad's perspective because many moms wonder that especially in those early days where you know quote unquote you hear your milk hasn't come in yet and those of us on this discussion and maybe many of our listeners like yes colostrum is those first early days it's not in large amounts that is completely totally developmentally normal and fine and meets the baby's needs but i didn't used to know that Mm -hmm. right and Guys, uh, they are not pulling them aside in gym class and telling them this stuff.
2: (laughs) Right. It has to be explicit. Yeah. And many times there's a breastfeeding self-efficacy scale that we use in studies of women to report how women feel about their own breastfeeding journeys. And there is a direct relationship between how supported they feel by their partners Mm -hmm. and how high they report on the scale. Fathers are not going to just magically understand milk supply once they become adults. If we don't start this education early, and if we don't expose them To all types
3: of baby feeding Mm -hmm. early, so let's pull back. Let's pull back to that for a minute Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. chapter seven in my book, Building Boys, is challenge them with chores and caregiving, Mm -hmm. and I included that because those are parts where, frankly, a, a lot of us historically have not put a lot of attention to teaching our boys chores and caregiving of both the young and old has predominantly fallen to females boys are just as capable men are just as capable mm-hmm. these are life skills and so I'm advocating for that I also realize that a lot of kids especially if you're not from a larger family if you're an only child they don't get exposure to babies right mm-hmm. period so you, you know baby feeding in general, bottles or breasts, whatever it is, what is your thoughts on how we can expose our sons to this as a typical normal part of the world when this might not be something that is in their immediate world so that we can have these conversations and normalize it?
2: Yeah, that's great. So I think, first of all, there are lots of picture books that do show babies feeding in multiple ways. So I can't name any off the top of my head, but you can seek them out. And often your librarians will know if you say, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm looking for picture books that show babies feeding both from bottles and from the breast. You can also say, I'm looking for picture books that have families with single parents. And I'm looking for picture mm-hmm. books that have families with two moms. And I'm looking for picture books that have an adopted baby, you know, so that, They get exposure to multiple ways of caring for a baby. And then I am immersed in the world because I'm an IBCLC, and internationally board certified lactation consultant. I often share videos of various baby feeding positions to my clients when I'm trying to help reinforce things that I've taught to them in person. And so you can go on YouTube and you can find videos. When I was pregnant with my second child, I was having a home birth. And so I knew that my first, who is a boy was going maybe around for the birth. And so we watched a ton of birth videos together because I didn't want
3: my birth to be the first time that he saw Mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. And you kind of had to prepare him for this is what you might see or hear. Mm -hmm. And if you Mm -hmm. hear these sounds, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that, you know, mommy's dying or needs to go to a hospital. Right,
2: exactly. And so now both my daughter, my son, he Because I've always, I've home. He's almost ten, and I've always homeschooled and worked from home, so they hear all sorts of breastfeeding talk, and. They have heard me counsel clients on the phone. I worked for four years for a local pump distributor. And so that was always with them in tow. They can talk more about breast pumps, both of them, than they would like to.
3: Your your 10-year-old is probably better informed about breastfeeding and various breast pumps and what to do in circumstances than most adults.
2: Yes, probably. My, he he prefer, he would prefer not to be I'm sure, but sure <laughs> yes, probably. So he's not as into it. But my daughter for sure is into knowing about breastfeeding, knowing about childbirth. And so she does a lot of role playing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he when he was a toddler, he would definitely role play breastfeeding Mm -hmm. babies. And I did not stop it because I knew that it was developmental. I knew that he wouldn't always think that he as a male could breastfeed a baby. And, um, I thought it was great that he knew that that was the biological norm to feed.
3: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, That is incredibly common behavior for children who have been exposed to breastfeeding. So if your son does that, if you see a boy do that, there are some people who, you know, uh, react very negatively to that. Shame. That's not for you. That's not something boys do. Boys like girls copy what they see the grownups they care about doing. Mm -hmm. All of my boys at some point were sitting on a couch. Well, except for the youngest, uh, We're sitting on the couch with their shirt pulled up with like a stuffed animal or, or a doll there. And if they ever find this podcast when they're in their early (laughs) twenties now, they're probably going to kill me, but that's normal. But this is Mm -hmm. how mommy takes care of a baby. And this is part of how children learn. So Mm -hmm. let that natural learning
1: happen in those circumstances. So the, the picture books, great. Start early. It's and normalize it. Absolutely. And I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are going, oh, yeah, my son's 10 or my son, like this 13-year-old boy, where do you start when they're past that toddler stage of um, imitation? Our guest, Lo Nigrosh, will be answering that question after we return from these messages from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat and whether
3: you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about BiHeart Baby Formula. BiHeart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and ByHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula Heart dot com slash podcast, and it is ten percent off your first order. heart dot com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet.
2: Yeah, so then in that case, I would have a frank conversation with them about baby feeding and I would maybe start with the animal kingdom because that can help them, you know, lots of kids are and teenagers are really interested in the animal kingdom. So start with the the concept of mammals, where that word mammal comes from, mammary gland and point out all the various animals that feed their babies milk Mm -hmm. and you can kind of start with that really science-based information and then from there you can move to you know do you know how you were fed as a baby Mm -hmm. and you can have that really cool conversation and you know what a 13 year old boy might roll his eyes at it like they do so many other conversations Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it's not an important conversation to have Yeah, and it's important to their own history as well and they'll want to know that information as Mm -hmm. they get older and just like many other conversations you don't have a conversation about sex once and you don't have a conversation about how you feed babies once. So it's going to be conversations that you have multiple times. So start with feeding animals. You can start with watching videos on YouTube of lots of animals feeding. There's a really great show on Disney plus called secrets of the elephants. Have you seen it?
3: Yes, it is absolutely gorgeous go watch this. It's just, it's, it's a great family thing. And elephants are amazing. And I got to say this, Janet elephants, they know that their matriarchs are their wise women and they follow them. Yeah. And
2: it's really cool because it really shows the way that humans used to care for babies. We evolved in these large social groups. And the anthropological studies show that babies used to have anywhere between five and 12 primary caretakers. And now they have one, maybe two in the modern Western world. And so when a baby was hungry, there could be anywhere between five or 12 people who would feed that baby. The elephants, it showed this in the secret Secrets of the Elephants show as well. This is what the elephants would do. And there's this one particular episode, maybe episode two or three, where a baby elephant goes to nurse its mother and the mother closes her legs and doesn't allow the elephant to (laughs) nurse. And the elephant, multiple times, and then the elephant goes off and goes and nurses another elephant who actually doesn't even have milk, just nursed for comfort. And the elephant allowed her to.
3: I gotta say, as a busy mom, As a mom who's been frustrated, touched out, we all watch that scene and go, I get it. I get it.
1: (laughs) I get it.
3: I love you, but not now. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So watching animals do this behavior is a great launching off point for older children and for younger children, but really for older children. And then to say, I bottle fed you. And it was a really difficult time trying to, bre- I may, I maybe tried to breastfeed you, but it was really hard for me, or I did breastfeed you. And this is how long I breastfed you. Um, I pumped while I was at work. And then when you're out and about, point out the various people that you see who are breastfeeding, you don't have to be very loud about it. But you can (laughs) say, you know, notice that person is feeding their baby with their body, you know, Mm -hmm. so cool, so cool that humans do this, that we make milk for our babies. I just think it's so amazing, you know, and that way they can be socialized to feel okay about it. And then if there's anybody in the family who's ever feeding their baby, maybe you could have a private conversation with them about, hey, is it, you know, just so you know, you're always welcome to feed your baby in our house. And I've been talking about this with my kids. And so would you ever want to talk? to my kids about what your experience has been like, and then they could have a conversation about whether it's been hard or whether it's been easy or whether they have, they've had low milk supply or high milk supply. And that way they get more exposure to what it's like to feed a baby so that when, or if they ever have a partner who is going to feed a baby, they have had conversations with people Mm -hmm. along the way about what it's been like.
3: This is really interesting because it's making me think about, um, first of all, how we've overcomplicated life by totally almost segregating our children from the adult world, right? Like Mm -hmm. we didn't used to have to have these conversations and make an effort to expose Mm -hmm. our children to young children eating because it happened. It was part of life. Now we have to look for it. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about our culture here in the United States and and in many other parts of the world, like there's this emphasis on the immediate family. There's this emphasis on privacy. There's um, all of the issues uh, around the female body and how that should be a private thing or a sexual thing. It's okay if it's sexual, but if it's in the service of a child, you know, all these layers. And so my instinct, and I think a lot of other parents, if you are out in public, and you see, I, I, I'm so attuned to other nursing moms because I've done it. I'm like, oh, I know what you're doing over there. But it never occurred to me to call that out to mm-hmm, my children. Mm-hmm. It, And then if you don't acknowledge it, if you explicitly see it, don't acknowledge it, you're teaching your kids to be quiet about it, to ignore mm-hmm. it, to not discuss these things, aren't we? Mm-hmm.
1: Then that leads to what you were saying, Jen, the shame around yeah. the female body. And Mm -hmm. what our bodies do. And this really can, you know, expand into all the reproduction parts and not just, you know, the physical act of here's how you make a baby, but there's menstruation. So how do you talk to your boys about that? I mean, my uh, personal education from my mom, my sister was two years older. Now your sister needs some privacy in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. That was it. And I was like, I had no clue what that meant until two years later. And she handed me a book, a little pamphlet. You know, we got those pamphlets.
3: I probably got the same pamphlet. probably did. did. And they probably did not update the pamphlet from
1: when you had it to when I got it. Probably not. And then it was the box of, it was the tampons, hand you the box of tampons with the directions, close the door. And I'm in there reading the directions going, what the heck do I do now? And that was it. And, right. and talk about shame around the body mm. and the mm-hmm. body's processes, because, you know, my mom couldn't talk about it. Right.
2: So, yeah. Yeah. I never had a conversation with my mom. And luckily, I had an older sister and I was a lifeguard. So I just had pads. And then I had an older sister who was also a lifeguard. And she taught me. She like went in the bathroom with me and taught me because otherwise, I would yeah. have not known how to wear a tampon. And, you know, I think the same thing with our boys, you know, my, luckily my son, just, he would not leave the bathroom. So he saw, he saw me changing a tampon and both my kids, they know what periods are that, you know, they'll ask uh, time and time again, what is a period again? You know, mm-hmm. like you have to reinforce, you have to reinforce Um, these things. It's not a one-time conversation, but if they feel comfortable asking, then they know that I can, if there's some confusion, they can come Mm -hmm. again to me about it. But I, another thing that I do is when I see a breastfeeding mom, I just look at her or any mom with a baby, I just look at her and say, Hey, you're doing a good job. And if I see her breastfeeding, I have these stickers that say my body made liquid gold. I'm basically a superhero oh,
0: and it, yes. has a, I it. It, it has a
2: QR code to my podcast. And I hand her those stickers and I, I say, Hey, you're doing a good job. Do you want this sticker? And you know, she'll say yes or no. And I give those out. And uh, friends and I, we've never done this, but friends and I have talked about just anytime we see a young mom who looks a little frazzled with like multiple kids, we've talked about buying like $5 gift cards to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and just handing it to her and saying, Hey, you're doing amazing. But the thing that that does when our kids see us acknowledging other moms like that, Mm. whether it's about breastfeeding or just parenting in general It shows that it's okay to talk to other people. It's okay to acknowledge that they're feeding a baby. We don't have to ignore them. They're a part of the community. And it's not something that that
3: person needs to be ashamed of, that they're just
2: living their life.
3: It is also demonstrating community support.
2: Mm -hmm. yes
3: and Janet I suspect you do the same thing I do even if I don't say something I always try to make eye contact with those moms and smile Mm -hmm. because like Mm -hmm. this is hard Mm -hmm. and you are doing it and I see you and Mm -hmm. so we might not be in these uh you know smaller community groups anymore with you know five to twelve people helping us with our babies but we can do that that Mm -hmm. much as community and if our if our boys see us doing that they are more likely to encourage and engage with others
0: who are mm-hmm. raising
3: children, and this is how we create community. This is how we uh,
1: normalize caregiving. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want some of those stickers. Love. I, okay, <laughs> that sounds like such a great, just a I great thing to have yeah. tucked in your purse and just be like, "Oh my gosh, you're doing amazing! Mm-hmm. Here's a sticker." yeah Yeah. let's spread that to the west coast that would be super fun i'd love to have that
3: what would you say lo let's say you were you know in the room um and janet's daughter is nursing her baby and there's this 13 year old who's likely you know never been around this before and you can see that he's visibly um awkwardly uncomfortable which frankly is a pretty go-to demeanor for a 13 year old boy in a lot of circumstances Mm -hmm. um What might you say to acknowledge the situation, to encourage discussion? How would you handle that?
2: Yeah. So I might first um, ask him if he has been around babies very much. So I might just say, hey, do you have any baby brothers or sisters? Do you have any baby cousins? And just kind of break the ice that way and see what his response is. And, you know, I would ask of the babies you've been around, how have you seen them feeding? And just get him talking about his experiences. And I would ask, have you ever seen a puppy, uh, a dog with puppies Mm -hmm. or a cat with kittens have or a a pig with piglets at a farm? Have you ever watched them nurse? And so then I would kind of just get them talking about their experiences with mammals. Yeah, yeah. And so then they can kind of relate what they have experienced with what is happening right then. And it kind of normalizes, okay, I have been around this before. I have seen this before. It's not as unusual as I was thinking.
3: And you're doing what we've advised so many times, which is the starting with curiosity. So you don't launch into a, well, here's what you need to know about breastfeeding Mm -hmm. lecture. You Mm -hmm. start with, Have you been around babies much, Mm -hmm. you know, find out where he is and then meet him there, create connections, build on what he's already seen, already heard, already knows. Mm -hmm. I am really, really curious. Some places, including the school that my uh, kids go to, the middle school that they've gone to, they do this thing where they will give uh, the eighth graders in health class these babies, These electronic Mm. babies. And the whole Mm. idea is to teach them about babies and that babies need a lot of attention. Really, I'm quite sure that the intent is to terrify them so that they never have sex because, oh my God, I can't, these babies are crying all the time. And that troubles me for a lot of reasons. Because number one, I don't really think it's great for our kids to learn that, you know, babies are terrible things to have around. And you have to feed the baby sometimes. I don't think they talk about breastfeeding at all. Um, Mm -mm. What are your thoughts on these simulated babies and how helpful they are or are not in teaching our children?
1: What do you think about baby simulators? Hear what Lo thinks when we come back after these messages from our sponsors. One of the
3: most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing For way too many people, the answer
1: seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke.
2: you know i think a lot of the ways that we in the united states do sex education and family education mm-hmm. is wanting yes and
1: you're so polite low right <laughs> it's awful low it's ridiculous yeah. and it's yeah. lacking in so much yes yeah
2: yes babies can be really hard and also when you're ready to have a baby, or even if it happens and you aren't ready with the right
1: supports in place, you manage, you know, and there's all the delicious side of babies, right? That we right. need to talk about too.
3: It yeah. totally leaves that part out. And, mm-hmm. uh, I can't believe like, we had the, the baby come home at least two or three times with different kids. I can't believe I never thought to add in and talk about uh, breastfeeding as a baby feeding option at that point. I can't believe I didn't think about that, but that would be if your kid has to bring home one of these things. Yeah. Mention it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I actually was reading a study recently in the international breastfeeding journal. It was about the views of breastfeeding education in schools. Yeah, It was a systemic review and it was essentially that educators, because so many people in the population in general misunderstand breastfeeding, that it would kind of be hard to incorporate breastfeeding education into schools because those that have they give a lot of wrong information like they think that you have to eat a certain diet in order to breastfeed so they would be teaching that and so a lot of their own biases got brought sure. into the the education that they gave and we see that in a lot of healthcare settings too like nurses and pediatricians only receive between 3 and 9 hours of breastfeeding education and so and wow. so their the information that they give is often biased by their own experiences with breastfeeding. And And,
3: lack of a complete education.
2: Right, exactly. And so it would be hard to start incorporating breastfeeding education in schools. It doesn't mean it couldn't happen. But I think at least acknowledging that it is the way that humans feed babies would be a good start Mm -hmm, and not being mm -hmm. so scared to talk about it. And if we could at least within families... Yeah. allow people to feed their babies in the way that was most comfortable to them anywhere and everywhere that would be a great
1: start-hmm we got a long ways to go in this arena don't we
2: yeah and not be so scared to allow our children to see it mm-hmm. 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 yeah
1: yeah and to step away from the over sexualization of women's breasts they've got mm-hmm. other purposes. So Mm -hmm. starting that conversation early and as Jen said, you know, when your little boy lifts up his shirt with that baby doll, I mean, you can encourage it. You can be really positive around it. Yeah, exactly. In the same
2: way that he's not going to grow up thinking that he's actually a dragon when he pretends to be a dragon.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right.
2: Yeah. He's not actually going to grow up to think he can feed his baby with his chest but it is good to say, oh, yeah, that's where milk comes from. Milk comes from the human body. You're feeding mm-hmm. your baby, you know, yeah, taking um, care of your
1: baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And for boys, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast. I haven't heard it explicitly yet, but for boys to even have the baby doll
3: to begin with is so- oh my gosh, yes, it is 2023. And I still see, and I'm sure you do, a Facebook groups where parents are freaking out because somebody did buy their son a, a baby doll and somebody in the family freaks out and says he shouldn't have it.
1: 2023. Yeah, yeah we allowed them to have stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But a, a baby doll. But I will say, got to say, Bo likes his baby he I have a doll here at the house when he comes over and he he takes Dolly out to smell the flowers that's his biggest thing <laughs> and he and you know the other entertainment is taking the clothes on and off and that's pretty much it and it gets thrown around a bit he's learning how to hold baby on his shoulders which is a riot because he kind of can't really do it but Dolly is a part of his choice of his Mm. playthings, things it's there Mm. and that I mean just like trucks it needs to be there and there may be some repercussions or things said from grandparents and and maybe dads but it is it's like how do we help our boys be nurturers and caregivers and it starts when they're in their developmental stage of imitation and they're watching how nurturing is happening
2: yeah and I know before I said I couldn't remember any books, but I know for young kids, the book called "The New Baby," it's by Mr. Rogers. Love um, him. so yeah, if you're expecting a new baby and you have a toddler, it shows babies both breastfeeding and bottle feeding. it It kind of goes through what to expect when a new baby comes into your house. So that's a that's a I remember reading that one with my son when we were expecting my
3: new one. A great clip for parents online. It might jog a memory from when you were younger. Uh, If you're younger than me, it might not jog your memory at all. But Sesame Street. Yes. Buffy and Big Bird. Buffy was a character that was on for a while uh, in the 70s and she was a Native American woman and she had a baby and there's a very simple scene where Buffy is feeding her baby and Big Bird asks about it and Buffy explains and it is normal, natural, beautiful in the way Mm -hmm. that Sesame Street always was.
1: Yes. How on earth did you remember that? Because I looked it up a few years ago for some reason. You know, parents just opening up this notion that we need to expand and we need to explicitly teach our boys, especially, but, you know, girls, too. And I'm imagining that there will be a lot of life circumstances once you have that view opened Oh yeah. Okay. There's the woman on the bus or there's the, in mm-hmm. that movie and to just grab those opportunities as they arise. Yes. That's one way. And then, as you said, like these explicit conversations and Jen and I have talked before, you know, with our boys, it's 2000, two minute conversations because right. you can't go deeply into the memory glands and milk production. They're going to check out. And also just the link back to the cats, the dogs, the cows, the pigs, the whales, as Jen said, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever animal your kid is, is passionate about. If it's a mammal. um, Yeah, it's not going to work so good.
3: If like iguana is his passion of the week. That is so
1: (laughs) funny. That's exactly the picture that popped into my mind. Iguana. That's Jen. Ooh, yeah. Same wavelength. (laughs) (laughs) But you know,
2: if you have your eye open to it, stuff will constantly pop up. Like, you know, there was this article that went viral recently about how whales squirt their milk into the ocean. And then the babies are able to take it that way. So they're not directly feeding. And so that's why I thought about the
3: whales. Right.
2: Yeah. And so then, if you share that with your teenagers, like, isn't this cool that various mammals feed their babies in different ways? Yeah. That mm-hmm. it's, and humans feed directly from the body. And then you can pose a question I wonder, I wonder, you know, if there are other animals that squirt their milk, you know, we should look it up. Mm-hmm. And if you say, I wonder, Um, what are the Mm -hmm. average amounts of time that various animals feed their babies? And yeah, that's a
3: good one.
2: Right. And then say, I wonder what the average weaning time for humans is. Well, it turns out that the biological average for weaning is between ages two and seven. That Mm. might blow kids minds because it blows a lot of adults minds Mm -hmm. when, Mm -hmm. because in the U S we don't think of
1: toddlers nursing as much. Right. Mm -hmm. Lo, you are just a wealth of information and wisdom and experience. We love having these conversations with you. Oh my gosh. How can our listeners find you? Well,
2: if they are still in the (coughs) stage of life where they are feeding babies and they want to hear stories of feeding babies, they can listen to my podcast, the milk making minutes where we explore baby feeding struggles and triumphs through the lens of systemic medical and cultural barriers. And even if you are beyond that stage, but you feel like you could use some healing in your own life Mm. based on your own stories, maybe they didn't go as you wanted. It's a great place to go and understand that it wasn't your fault. If it didn't go the way you wanted, it wasn't your fault because so many of us walk away with guilt, feeling like we failed or our bodies failed. And and my message to my clients and to my listeners is that you did not fail. And most likely you were failed by some loop in the system that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. And I, I just have to say, I think Jen and I, uh, in that conversation with you, which our listeners can find later in the year, it just reminded me how much sharing our birth stories, sharing our feeding stories, even, I mean, mine was 37 years ago. Mm -hmm. But once you start talking about it, it's as if it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that there is connection to be had in those stories. And as you said, so much healing. And I'm just getting chills right now because I think that, that, you know, we get busy and our kids grow and we're, you know, doing the dishes and all the things. And there is that reservoir in us that is still maybe is still seeking that connection and, and healing.
2: Yes, I agree.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. And if anyone would like lactation consultations, either in person or virtually. So if you live in central or Western Massachusetts and you would like to see me in person, I'm happy to do that. But many lactation consults can be done virtually, believe it or not, because I like to be as hands-off as possible. You can go to www.quabinbirthservices.com It's a regional name. So that can be linked in the show notes and mm-hmm. I'll have my socials linked in the in the show notes as well, so that people can follow me on Instagram and TikTok.
3: Thank you so much. And man, Janet, there are no virtual lactation consultants available. (laughs) If only we'd had
1: that. (laughs) If only. Oh my gosh, you are doing such good work in the world, Lo. Thank you so Mm. much for joining us today. Yes, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you have found this episode valuable and that you have some new openings for conversations with your boys. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being our listeners, and thank you, too, for supporting our sponsors.